We're delighted you could join us today. Welcome. If you uh, have friends that you'd like to have them join in, you can put them on your watch party or, or send them a note. We'd be glad to have them join us today. And we welcome all of you. If you've been following the news, which I assume most of you have, you know what has been happening across our country. Starting in Minneapolis with what happened to this, this man um, and what happened in the police officers and then what's grown out of that to the riots and the protests and the damaging and things. It's just been amazing. And so I've been watching every day, and maybe you have too. But the issue that keeps coming up and so forth that seems to be involved at the bottom of this has to do with racism. I'd like to suggest to you that it, there's something even deeper than racism in there, that it's fear. Fear of one another. And maybe fear because of the color of your skin or your position or your status in society. There's fear. There's fear in some communities of black folks. There is some community of white folks. There's some fear in groups of people who wear the uniform of a police officer. And that fear seems to be taking over in our country. Martin Luther King Jr. said many wonderful things, and I, I enjoy reading some of the things because there's a lot of truth he has in the statements he made. Here's one, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Which reminds me of a text in the Bible in 1 John 4, which said, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Loving one another. The solution is for all of us to look and see, are we being loving to our fellow man? I think that's a key. It's something that I need to make sure that I'm looking and thinking of people around me, that I'm acting in a loving way as Christ would love them. And when love comes, fear is gone. When you love your brother, and when your brother sees that they are loved and cared for, their fear disappears as well. I'd like to ask you through, through this time, if you would please pray about this every day, and that you could help others by being loving and kind to others. But let me just take a moment and pray right now with you. Dear Father, you have watched what has been happening among the struggles of your children. There are inequities. There are things that are wrong. Attitudes that need to be changed. Hearts that need to be changed. Instead of hating, we need to love. Instead of living on fear, we need to care about our fellow man. And we need to examine our own hearts of how that is. Lord, help us in that. May you help us overcome. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, I'd like for you to please open your Bibles to John, the 15th chapter. We're just going to pick up one quick little verse there. John 15, verse 26, because it begins a discussion. When they marked out the Bible in chapters and verses, they sometimes put the verses or the chapter breaks in a place they shouldn't have. This is an example of one because Jesus is introducing a new topic. And the new topic he begins in John 15, verse 26. And you can pick that up if you have your Bible uh, handy. 
please go get it. You can put this on pause if you're there and you can watch later. But John 15, verse 26, and it said, when, when the advocate comes, when I will send you from the, excuse me, when the advocate comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth. Now, what Jesus is really talking about and speaking about is he's talking about the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Godhead. There's only one God, but they're expressed in three different ways. And so when he said, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. You know, there's not a lot in the Bible about the Holy Spirit. The storyline, we might say, the storyline of the Holy Spirit is not long. Mentioned and scattered throughout, yes, there is. But there are no gospels on the Holy Spirit. We don't have a gospel story of the Spirit. And when we read, we, we may read more about the Father than about the Spirit, even though we know that the Holy Spirit was present at creation, moved on the face of the waters, the Bible says. So the theme, the whole theme of the scriptures has been on Jesus. And is rightfully so, it should be on Jesus. He has a very long storyline, doesn't he? But Jesus said, when the advocate will come, whom I will send to you from the Father. I will send him. I would gather from that, that Jesus was saying the work, the reason, the thing that, of the Holy Spirit coming is extremely important. And he wanted to make sure we understood that. And he was speaking to his disciples and to us today. So he was speaking about that he would send the Holy Spirit. So now we drop down into John 16. If you just turn down into John 16, the very next uh, chapter, he picks up, he continues on with what he was saying. He said to them, all this I have told you so that you will not fall away. Which is important for us as well. But he was speaking to his disciples at that moment. And he was encouraging them not on so that they would not fall away. You see, the followers of Jesus and Jesus himself were perceived to be a counter-religion to what was well-established within Judaism. The Jews, mainly led by the Pharisees, yes, the Sadducees were involved, but the Pharisees mainly, the Pharisees had a history in which they had reacted to the captivity that happened to Israel when they were taken into captivity in Babylon. And they were taken into captivity because they worshipped idols. And as they left, as they came back, the Pharisees kind of developed in the couple hundred years before Christ, developing said, we will never be taken captive again because we will follow God's law perfectly. And they worked very hard, and they worked and made many things to make sure that everything was in line, including that if you had a mint plant, that they would count out how many leaves, and you would have to tithe one-tenth of the leaf. They were so picky about everything and so they were enforcing the people to follow us because we would never want, we would never want to go away from God because we have the true religion. We have the true thing that should have. Well, 
So anyone who ran counter to that, like Jesus and the disciples, if anyone ran counter to that, they would be extremely upset. And so they would try to trap Jesus. They try to do war against his disciples. They would try to tear it down so that no one would take away from the purity of what they thought was their religion, what they thought was true. They went on to, in places, so they made things and they would say things like, if, um, if one steals the kishwa, kishwa was the wrapping that went around the scrolls, the, the, ten, uh, the uh, laws, first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, the Kishnu was the wrapping. If anyone steals that or curses by enchantment or cohabitates with a heathen, literally meaning Syrian, woman, he is punished by the zealots, they would say. That was the right thing to do. If a priest performs in the temple service whilst unclean, having cleansed himself, and not meaning dirty hands, but gone through ceremonial cleansing, his brother, priest, do not charge him within the Beth Din, not within the temple, but they are to get the younger priest to take him out of the temple court and to split his skull with clubs. Rough crowd. They were so sincere of guarding everything that any deviation, any liberalization, as they would say, was heresy, was blasphemy to God. And Jesus said, I've told this all you, to you so that you will not fall away. When this comes upon you, verse 2, they, they will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will think that's the holy thing to do. Well, did that happen? Well, right away, if you're reading the book of Acts in chapter 7, you can read about the defense that Stephen put up. Stephen, the first Christian martyr in 34 AD, he was martyred. He was, he was uh, taken, and what happened with him as he was stoned because he was pointing out how they had deviated away from God and were not following the scriptures. In this picture, you can see Paul, or Saul at that time, who became the greatest Christian missionary. He thought it was his duty to go and stamp out these, these heretics. Well, there's a time about a hundred years later where a man by the name of Polycarp. Now, Polycarp was the pastor of the church in Smyrna. Smyrna is one of the seven churches that we find in Revelation chapter 2, 8 through 11. So if you read the story, if you read about what Jesus had put in the scriptures, what John wrote in Revelation about the church of Smyrna, you can see how this applied to the story of Polycarp. Polycarp was a wonderful Christian man and and he was serving the Lord, but he was an outlaw because Christianity was outlawed in the Roman Empire. And eventually people complained enough about it that they came and took him captive. And when the police came, when the police force came, the militia, he invited them into his house where he, he prayed for them. And he fed them. And this took a couple of hours. And then they took him out and they took him to the arena. And the next day in the arena, he was brought out and he was asked to condemn Christ and to, 
and to be away with them and get away from them and renounce his faith. Polycarp stood firm. You see, it was, it was the zealots who were trying to get rid of him. The Jewish people were really trying. In fact, they were there on the Sabbath day, which evidently martyring Christians on the Sabbath day was a worthwhile adventure, I guess. But he stood firm. And when he was asked to recant, when he was asked to give up, he responded, 80 and six years, I have served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? Powerful statement. And they went out and they executed him. They, they martyred him. You can read about that. Just look up the martyrdom of Polycarp, and you can read about the whole thing online. There's quite a bit there to read about. It's a fascinating story. But that was not the end of the zealots. Christianity picked that up, and they went down into the Crusades, down into the Middle East, and they went to reclaim the holy sites, and they massacred, they massacred hundreds of thousands of Muslims in the name of Christ. No wonder the ISIS in our modern day is executing Christians. Zealots for the faith, you see, to keep things pure. Jesus went on to tell his disciples, they will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. Drop down to verse 7. But very truly I tell you, it is not for your good, it is for your good that I am going away. Now these words would be very troubling to the disciples because they had followed him and to be a disciple, a follower of a rabbi, particularly one as distinguished as Jesus and who had such great teaching and such great power. And when Jesus said he was going away and that it was good for him, good for them, they would be deeply troubled. Why? Why would you go away? We, we need you here. Well, we now, sitting where we are, this many couple thousand years after the event, understand that this was the great mystery of the Incarnation. And when Mary became pregnant by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Bible says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. When Jesus took on human flesh, he committed himself to staying in human flesh for eternity. Therefore, he chose not to be omnipresent like he had been before. He, he was the burning bush. He, he was the Passover angel, I believe. He, was, he made several appearances, theophanies, in the Old Testament. We don't see that now. We don't see that anymore. We see Jesus staying as he was in his body. And therefore, it became necessary, Jesus said, it became necessary. But I very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So there was something that the role of the Holy Spirit was to take that would be different after Jesus ascended into heaven which is the important part of this. Because the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit has an active role in each of our lives. Verse 8, when he comes, Jesus said, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. 
about sin because people did not believe me. And they certainly didn't, did they? Many people didn't. They booed him. They even tried to crucify him. They wouldn't believe him to be the truth. But the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit would need to come to deal with the sin. And about righteousness, Jesus went on, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. He was gone, staying in the flesh. And now the Holy Spirit picks up the work, picks up the human contact with people. And about judgment, Jesus went on, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Because when Jesus went to the cross, he bought back, he bought back the world. He said, I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear now. And that was really true. That was much more than they could bear. But when he comes, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. How is it that the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth? Well, one of the ways that we know clearly is that the Holy Spirit was intimately involved in helping the prophets and the Bible writers to produce this book. We know that over the 39 different authors and over the 66 books and letters that are in there and over the 1600 years of writing that there is one consistent, clear message through the whole thing. How could that happen? We don't find that in any other books. We don't find that Moses and John, for example, one end of the Bible to another, are perfectly consistent all the way through in their teaching of Jesus and what God is like and how God is saving man. How is that possible? That is only possible because God was intimately involved in the creation of Scripture. He saw it as a way to communicate to us. So when we open the Word of God, when we open our Bibles, we are looking at the Word that God inspired to be written to us. And therefore, in writing to us, his spirit still moves through those words. Now, I, people look and say, well, Pastor, your whole book, this is, a, this is the only book you, you need, right? The only book you need. No, 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 there's a lot of truth to that. There's something about this book, though, and when I open it and read it, there's new things that come to me in thinking. Just as I was reading here out of John 15 and 16, as I was looking at this passage earlier, in preparation for this morning, as I was looking at him, new things were coming and speaking to me from the word. There's something alive and wonderful about the scriptures, which is unlike any other book. Because the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God still is speaking truth to us through his word. It is, a, it is a marvelous thing. And if you have not discovered how the word of God can be speaking to you, I invite you to find that. Here's what you need to do. Not just read it quickly, but took and then meditate on it. Let that thoughts work for you. Someone asked me, well, Pastor Bill, I don't know if I could preach. I don't know what I should preach about. 
all I have to do, all I have to do is just open God's word and start reading. And all of a sudden there are parts that go, preach me, preach me. I've never run out of topics. In fact, <laughs> I was looking in my files a couple years ago and, I, and I'd saved every sermon I'd preached. And, and I was looking at them and I was saying, well, as I look at the Bible, I said, I've preached so little of the Bible. And the Lord said, did you preach a word? Well, I, I preached quite a bit of it, but, but there's so much. And there's so much that we can be taught by the Holy Spirit through his word. But I would like us to take this just a little deeper, just a little step farther. Not only to be taught from the word, the truth from that, but to the sensing of the presence of God. The Holy Spirit works upon our hearts our minds he loves us and cares for us because God loves and cares for us and he is God and so that responding to us that that coming to us the hound of heaven we might say who works for our good and for our salvation the Holy Spirit then the Holy Spirit is interested in everything you are doing and about but can you sense his presence? You would not follow just whims or impressions that are outside of God's word that would take you and say, oh, that's no good. I'm going to go do something else. They're consistent. But sometimes God uses his spirit to prompt us, to prompt us, to lead us, to open doors for us. I've had that experience in my life. My grandfather, my grandfather asked the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventist if he couldn't develop an insurance company within inside the denomination of Seventh-day Adventist. And so he, he approached them and he said, yes, they, they gave him some money. Well, he needed to go get underwriters, people that could underwrite insurance companies. So he went to Chicago. And he went to many different of the largest insurance companies there in downtown Chicago. This was years ago. And when he got there in the 40s, 1940s, he, he got no from all this. Oh, we're not interested in your little insurance company. Finally, he went to Fireman's Fund. And he got in the elevator, went all the way to the top floor. It was Friday, about 11.30. And he, in the morning, he went into the office of the president and he the secretary was there and said well do you have an appointment and he said well no i don't i i'm here i want to i want to speak to the president well it's too bad because he has just left he's gone for the weekend he's going to take some vacation he won't be back for several days and i'm sorry so my grandfather turned around he went back down the elevator he went back to the car and as getting in the car about ready to start, he got this impression, go back, go back. And he said, well, that's kind of foolish, go back. I said, what am I thinking? And he was going to start the car, go back, go back. So he sat there for a few minutes, and then finally he got up and got out of the car, went back, got in the elevator, another man got in the elevator with him. They went all the way to the top floor. 
They both went in the door of the president's office, and as soon as they walked in, the secretary said, Oh, you found him. Well, the man that was going up in the elevator was the president of Fireman's Fund. And so my grandfather told him about this experience and what had happened, and the man was so impressed, he said, We'll be glad to underwrite you. And so they did. And it started a way of saving millions and millions of dollars through Adventist risk management. My grandfather started it because he had a vision in which he thought God is calling him to do. Maybe you do as well. Maybe God is calling you to do something. Maybe God has something for you in your heart. Let me pray with you. Dear Lord, perhaps right now, you through your spirit are speaking and sensing to people to lead them where they may, may not know. That you are opening a door for them, an opportunity, a, a ministry, a way of helping, an awareness of people around them. May we be open and be taught. May we be sensitive to that. Lord, I ask you to help us with that. And we thank you that you sent your spirit for our joy, for our happiness. In Jesus' precious name, amen. All right, we will see you next week.